0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Mark 2, so we've been looking at these controversy stories. There's five, boom, 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 all in a row where Jesus gets, in, gets sideways with the religious leaders who are primarily Pharisees. When we talked about the Pharisees last week, these guys are they're they're uh, hyper focused on the law. Originally, I think their, their hearts were good, and I don't know that their hearts are not good at this point. And their understanding, God will rescue His people when they do a good enough job keeping the rules, following the law. And so they've got they've kind of bubble-wrapped the law around with other rules. If you don't break these rules on the outside, then you're never going to break these rules kind of on the inside. But by the time of Jesus it's become a very very burdensome system for regular people. It's really hard to keep up with all of the rules. And Jesus and the Pharisees, they just keep kind of banging heads over what it means to be righteous and what it means to be faithful to the Lord. He, 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 he tells them, and hey, your sins are forgiven. And they think that's blasphemy, and they're right, unless Jesus is the Son of God. And he says, I want you to know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And sinners in that context is people who don't keep the rules as well as the Pharisees do. And, and Jesus says, no, the healthy people don't need a doctor. It's sick people. I didn't come to call righteous, but sinners. And then He's, he and his disciples are not fasting, and they're wanting, well, why, why would you not do that? That's what we're all doing. Everybody wants to see the kingdom come. We're all fasting. Why aren't y'all? And Jesus says, "God's doing a new thing through me. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. It'll burst. We need you, you, your understanding of, of, of the Messiah it's got to change. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's hard to release our expectations and our preconceived notions for anything, but, but uh, especially when it comes to the Lord and how he's gonna work. These are, the Pharisees, their understanding has been given to them from their teachers. That was given to them from their teachers. That was given to them from their teachers. That was given to them from their teachers. From, from their teachers. There's a long, there's at least a couple of hundred years of heritage and history that's helped form this box of who the Messiah would be. And Jesus is, he's not fitting in the box and it's creating a lot of heartburn for the Pharisees. And that's really the heart of the controversy. That's the heart of the disagreement that runs through all of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's who exactly is the Messiah? What does it mean to be the Messiah? And again, Jesus is defying their expectations and it's creating a lot of internal tension for them. We're going to look at two more today, the final two controversies in this section that both have to do with the Sabbath and what it means to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the Sabbath was from uh, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So that 24-hour period. And according to the fourth commandment, God said you can't work on that day. God created in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And he said, so as my people, you're going to rest as well. This day is holy. That is, it's set apart from all the other days. You can work for 6 days, but you can't work on the 7th day. On the 7th day, y'all rest because I rested. And that goes for you, that goes for your servants, that even goes for your animals. There's no work in the land on this 7th day. And so maybe initially when that command was given, it might have been kind of simple to keep. It was given to Moses in the desert, and at that point, the Israelites, they didn't have homes. They lived in tents. They didn't have fields. They, didn't, they, you know, they just walked outside every morning and there was food on the ground. It's called manna and they gathered it up. And on the seventh day, there wasn't any. There was no manna on the Sabbath. So there wasn't a ton of things to not do. If it's don't work, well, there, there's not a lot to not do. They don't have jobs. And so don't gather. Well, there's nothing to gather. Maybe don't, don't get firewood and make a fire. It, it, I think it would probably be a pretty simple command to follow in the desert. But over time, it became more and more complicated as people's situations changed. By the time of Jesus, 1,500 years after the time of Moses, you've had millions of people asking the question, is this work? Is this okay? Is this honoring the Sabbath? Am I dishonoring God by doing fill in the blank? And you have people like me who for 1,500 years said, Yes, here's what you can do and here's what you can't. I think with the best of intentions. You're asking a question and the rabbis are doing their best to answer your question. And so by the time of Jesus, there's 39 categories of activity that you can't do. They're on the screen and you can't read them. They're so small because I couldn't fit them all. That's how many categories there are. And each of those categories has subcategories, specific bullet points. It's a, it's a whole mess of rules that are very, very difficult, again, for regular people to keep up with. You can only walk so many steps. I think it's like 999 steps. You can't walk 1,000, or that's work. You know, you can write one letter, but you can't write two letters. That's work. There's, We'll see as we get into today, there's, there's certain ways that you can help people, but there are other things that you can't do. It's a lot to keep up with. And by the time of Jesus, what was supposed to be a day of rest had become quite burdensome. It was difficult, it was work to keep up with all the things you couldn't do. That was hard. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he doesn't follow all of these 39 rules. We know he never sinned, so he he honored the Sabbath, but his way of honoring it looks pretty different from the way the Pharisees honor it, and it brought them into disagreement. So first story, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain, The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath." So what did the disciples do that was wrong? They picked heads of grain and that was considered reaping and reaping is work. And so that put them outside of honoring the Sabbath. They worked by picking these heads of grain. That was considered reaping. Jesus does something he hardly ever does, which is he quotes an Old Testament story to justify what he's doing. Normally, he just says, basically, because I said so. But in this case, he quotes an Old Testament story. David in 1 Samuel 21 is on the run from Saul, and it's one of those kind of get out of town as quick as you can moments. He doesn't have time to get any supplies, And so he's fleeing from Saul and he stops at a place called Nob and there's a priest there and he asks the priest for food because David didn't have time to get any. And the priest says, all I have is this, we'll just call it holy bread, this bread of the presence. Every Sabbath, the priest would put 12 fresh loaves of bread on the altar and then he would take the old bread and that was his to eat. So the priest was allowed to eat and and only the priest and his family were allowed to eat this bread this weak old bread and the fresh bread was placed on the altars for lack of a better word it's kind of crass but it's basically one of the ways the priest was paid it was a way the priest was taken care of was through the provision of this bread and, da- and, and the priest says to david that's all i've got and david says i'll i'll take five loaves and the priest gives it to him he gives him this holy bread that david should not be allowed to eat there's no indication in the old testament that god was upset at all That God was displeased with that. So why would Jesus quote that story? Two reasons. One, letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. What what Jesus is pointing out here is here was an exception. A law, this bread can only be eaten by this group of people, was broken in the name of compassion and mercy. We've got a starving guy here. We have to know enough about the heart of God to know that he doesn't want David starving on this trip in the wilderness. He doesn't want him to die. And so we have bread, and, and yes, David should not be allowed to eat it, but in this case, mercy and compassion would say absolutely. Let him. And the same thing with Jesus' disciples. They're hungry, so it's okay for them to eat. And I, I think even more than that, you have Jesus saying, and he says it in his statements when he talks about the Sabbath being made for man, that's this idea of, hey, don't, don't lose sight of the spirit of the law in your zeal to hold on to the letter of the law. But then he says, the son of man, remember that's Jesus' way of talking about himself in the third person, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It's it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If that priest had the authority to basically change the rules, how much more do I have authority to interpret how this law is to be lived out? at a minimum, Jesus has just leapfrogged 1,500 years of rabbis and in their interpretations and said, I'm at the top here. I'm the one that gets to decide what is work and what isn't work. I'm the one that gets to decide how we honor the Sabbath. And I would say he's even taken a step above that. The, the commandment was literally written by God on a tablet of stone. And Jesus is saying, he's given me authority to interpret that for you. I'm the one who can tell you. I think there's a It's similar to him saying, I can forgive sins. He's he's taking a prerogative that's God's and he's claiming it for himself. And so that obviously is going to make the Pharisees a bit disconcerted, to say the least. And then the next story, this is a shift. This one's really different. The first four are all very similar, I think, with, I think we could, and I honestly think that we should look at the Pharisees through the lens of charity, best possible light. They're struggling. They're wrestling. You've been in a situation before where you had preconceived thoughts and ideas, and those preconceived thoughts and ideas were challenged by reality. And you know how difficult that is. And that's where they're living. And again, they've got generations of teaching that says, here's what the Messiah is going to look like. Here's what it means to be righteous. Here's what it means to be faithful to the Lord. And Jesus is operating in a different way. And I think it is creating a lot of heartburn for them. And we can, I think, be sympathetic and empathetic towards them. This story, very different posture. Very different posture. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Again, that's very different. The first four, I think we could and should say, they're questioning, they're wrestling, they're struggling. This last story, there's none of that. They're suspicious, they're cynical, they're trying to figure out how to accuse Jesus. That's what it says. He, he goes into the synagogue. You've been in, in a room before that was hostile. You know what that feels like. Not, not the home team. You know what it's like to feel that. And he does when he walks in the room, and he knows what they're doing. They're looking for a reason to accuse him. They're trying to hang something on him. And so he, he calls the question and says, well, what do y'all think about the Sabbath? You've got 39 categories of things that we can't do. What is the Sabbath for? Is it okay to do good? Is it okay to heal people? Is it okay to do bad? Is it okay to kill people? I think he knows what's going on. It's that y'all want to get me in trouble for healing a guy while y'all are plotting to kill me. How is that okay? It's okay to do that, but it's not okay to help somebody on the Sabbath? Like, Have we completely lost sight of what God intends this day to be? Like, what? But they won't answer. They're silent. Nobody will say anything. And Jesus gets that kind of mad sad that you've been before. When somebody you love is making self-destructive choices... You get angry because they're making sinful choices and you also get sad because you can see where those choices are going. And I think that's where Jesus is. He's mad because these guys, their hearts are stubborn. They are willfully refusing to acknowledge who he is. Their eyes are closed and they won't open them. That's what that word means. Their eyes are closed and they're refusing to open their eyes. It's a willful rejection of who Jesus is. At this point, it's not honest questions It's not genuine investigation. It's not heartfelt struggle. It's stubborn refusal. And that's really different. And he's mad at them. And he's mad at them because it's not just their sin. Their sin has consequences and so does yours and so does mine. There's no such thing. Your sin may be private, but it's never personal. It always affects other people. And theirs does as well. People are looking at them. They're the religious leaders and they're saying, what do you think about Jesus? What's your opinion of him? Of course people are going to ask. Their refusal to acknowledge who Jesus is, it's not just going to lead them astray, it's going to lead other people astray. And that makes Jesus angry. And he's, again, he's also deeply grieved. That's what that word means, deeply distressed. He's grieved because he can see where this thing is going. In Luke, before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, he weeps over this city that's about to crucify him. It's that he knows the consequences of rejecting him. And he knows what's going to happen to these guys. If they refuse to acknowledge who he is, their stubbornness, again, it's a cause for anger and a cause for sadness. I wonder how things would have, if, I think they would be, just speculation, how different things would have been if one of those guys, just one of those Pharisees, would have said, Time out. Jesus, this is hard for us. Like, you know, this is hard for us. You know us, you know, our desire is to be righteous. We're trying to do what we think is right. We've been handed down and been handed down and been handed down and been handed down for generations, these understandings of what it means to honor the Sabbath. You know that, uh, that we, we've all been taught it's okay to give life-saving first aid. If someone's going to die, then we can act. But that's not what's going on here. That's not what this is. It's sad. I can't imagine trying to work on a farm with one good hand. I can't imagine trying to raise livestock with one good hand. That's what this guy did. All labor was manual. I can't imagine trying to be that guy. But can he just come back tomorrow? He didn't get, uh, it's been a while that he's been this way. Is is 24 hours really going to make a difference? Why does it have to be today? I think if someone had genuinely asked the question, Jesus would have responded. You read through the Gospels, he doesn't reject genuine questions. He even engages people who are doubting. But you don't get that. It's just silence. They're done. They've already decided. We're out. So Jesus heals the guy and they decide to kill him. The Pharisees at this point, they're so blind in their Hatred, for lack of a better word, of Jesus. They're willing to work with people who they don't like. The Herodians is a group of people that are pro-King Herod, and the Pharisees are anti-King Herod, and think people who are pro-King Herod are sinners, and they're willing to work with them just because they want to see Jesus gotten rid of. That's how hate-filled they are at this point. Again, things shift pretty strongly there in that last story. So a couple of things for us. One some of you, you're in that spot, and this happens to all of us, so this isn't, this, doesn't mean, this isn't condescending. All of us are there at different points in our life, and some of you, it just happens to be today, this is where you are. You're in a spot where Jesus has either confused you or offended you. So you're somewhere on that continuum of confused and offended by the work of God in your life, and most likely, it's the lack of what you see as visible work. You're calling out and he doesn't seem to be answering. And you've gone, again, you're somewhere between confused and offended. And my encouragement to you this morning is don't be like these guys. Don't be silent. Don't. Bring your genuine wrestling, struggling, confusion, offense to Jesus. Let him know. This is how I'm feeling. This is what this communicates to me. This communicates to me that you don't care. This communicates to me that... You're not good. This communicates to me that whatever it is, however you're feeling, voice that to him. That's not disrespectful. Let him know. Invite him in. Don't be silent. And then let somebody else know. You don't have to carry that by yourself. Sometimes just getting it from here to here makes all the difference in the world. Perspective changes once it gets out of your own head. Let other people carry that with you. If that's you this morning, the worst thing you can do it's to stuff it and pretend it's not there. It's going to make you into one of these guys. Over time, it's going to make you cynical. It's going to make you jaded. And it's going to cause you to pull back from him. Much better to press forward and say, in all of the messiness, this is, this is where I am right now. I don't understand. Honestly, I'm a bit upset, frustrated, whatever the emotion is. But I'm still here. I'm still here. He'll honor that. He may not answer your question. I'm not going to pretend that he will. But he will make himself known to you. You'll know his presence, even if you don't get an answer. Second thing, Sabbath is made for man. So this is probably hits a few more people in the room. It's important for us to rest. It's a gift from God, and it's a gift that most of many of us neglect. Rest is not a value in our culture. And so we can tend to run through it pretty quickly in the name of all kinds of things. I want to give you just a little bit on rest. And then uh, we'll take communion as we close this morning. So biblically, rest is not sleep. That's not the same thing. Sleep is important, but that's not what biblical rest is. Biblical rest is an intentional time of non-productivity, ceasing activity. So it's a time when you're not getting things done. Now, many of you, you work outside of the home. And so for you, maybe to say the the low-hanging fruit is, well, rest is when I'm not at work. And so you may say, well, I'm already doing that. Like, I'm not at work. But I would say, well, are you checking your email, texts, phone calls? You drive by the job site to make sure everything's okay? Do some work just to get ahead for Monday? It's important for us, I think, to have a day, 24 hours. You don't have to take two days off, but I think it's important for us to have one day that we're not working. And again, this is rooted in creation. It's not rooted in the fall. So it is part of the Ten Commandments, the idea of honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. But the reasoning for it goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. God worked for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And let's be really clear, God wasn't tired. That's not why he rested. He rested because he was done, he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. So their first day was God's seventh day. So that means before they did anything, they did nothing. Their first day was a day of rest. We tend to rest from work. We rest when we get everything done. And you all know you never get everything done. That's not, that's not the way that the pattern that God established for, my, for us. He said rest and then work. Don't Rest from work, work from rest. That shift makes all the difference. When we rest, we're expressing our trust in the Lord that He holds everything together and we don't. It's easy for us to over time to overestimate our own importance and to think if we don't show up, if we don't respond, if we don't make it happen, it's not gonna happen just not true think about how difficult this would be so every seven years the Israelites were supposed to not plant anything there is no Kroger for them to go to that year if they're not harvesting where's their food coming from if they're not planting where are they getting food that seventh year they have to trust that there's going to be enough when they reap on the sixth year to get them through the seventh all the way to the harvest of the eighth year You want to talk about trust. Rest is an expression of trust. It's a a demonstration. It's a, a visible, tangible, physical acknowledgement that God is holding everything together and that we're not. That he's the center of the universe and that we're not. It can be difficult to take 24 hours and say, I'm not going to be productive during this time. I want to encourage you. I don't want to beat you up. But I want to encourage you to begin to, at a minimum, ask the Lord. Now, recognize that there's a a rhythm to life that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. It's rest and work and relationship. It's not balance. God worked six days. He took off one. That's not balance. This isn't about equal. This is about regularity. Is rest a normal part of your life? Is there one day when you're not productive? So again, you may say, "Well, I don't work on Saturday and Sunday." Well, you don't go to the office, but again, are you doing work from home, and or are you doing work on your home? You know, is cooking work? Is doing the laundry work? Is cutting the grass or running errands? Is that being productive? What would it look? You know, for some of us, we may not be. It's not necessarily work we're getting paid to do, but it's still work. If you use that phrase, non-productive. There's a whole lot of things that fall under that that we don't get paid to do. And that can be difficult to say, I'm gonna take a day and not be productive. For some of you, that is the unforgivable sin. And for you to not be productive, it, it crawls all over you. And so you start, ju- you know what? I actually really enjoy cutting the grass. That's restful for me. I just love folding clothes. There's nothing like, and that's what We do. Or how about this one? I just, I can't rest until everything's done. Then I'll be able to. That's what we say. When, when was everything done? When you were three. It hasn't been all done since then. And that's because somebody else was doing it. I think for, for another piece for us, and this is, this, um, let me think of how to say this. I don't, I, I don't want to wear you out. I do want you thinking about For some of us, when we're not working, we're still not resting. Like how much TV is enough? I don't know. When you think about rest is I want to engage in life-giving activities with God and with other people. Like how much TV? How how many video games? How many? The answer maybe is not zero, but it's, it's probably not four hours either. I would think, we can, we can overdo it. Like, how many games in a weekend? This is a tough one for those of you that have kids of sport playing age. There was a time, I'm 47, it's, I, I probably was the last group where sports were actually just fun. They're not anymore. They're a business. There's an industry around youth sports, and some of you, you're caught in that. And it's difficult, like, how do you swim? Your choices seem to be, I can either do nothing and my kid doesn't, is not involved in any activity or he's on the track to be in the major leagues and there's no, there doesn't seem to be anything in between. And I, I'm sorry. Uh, but th- you have to figure, we, those are things we need to figure out. What does it look like? Even if, for you, you would say a day at the ball field is rest. Think about your kid. If they're in school five days a week, and then they're on the field both days of the weekend, do they have a day where they're not productive? What does that look like? And I know that's, again, easy for me to say, my kids are out of that stage. What does that look like for you? How many night outs do you need with people? Like, all of the, we, we take, if one is good, two is better, and 17 is perfect. That's what we do with everything, and it it's difficult for us. Some of us we're, are socializing. It's not restful. It's too much. Our vacations are not restful. It's too much. Our, our own personal activities. It's not restful. It's too much. And I just want to ask you, at, at a minimum, ask, will you at least ask the Lord, is there Whatever the Sabbath is meant to be, this day where I'm not productive, where I get to enjoy God and others in life-giving activities, do I have one of those a week? Yes or no? I won't tell you what it's got to look like. Do I have one of those a week? Easy, low-hanging fruit. I'm not doing the thing that I get paid to do. I would probably put in there I'm not doing work that I'm not paid to do either. But then we have this whole thing that we have defined as leisure People actually have a ton of leisure time in our country. We have tons. But that doesn't mean that we're resting in the way that God intended. I don't know. Again, think about how you feel on Saturday night. Do you feel rested after whatever it is that you did Saturday day? Or do you feel worn out? Which one is it? Again, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I can't answer all those questions for you. But I do want you to begin to ask the Lord, what does it look like? And I want you to recognize that for many of you, the idea of rest, it's going to be really hard. It's not American. For a lot of us, it's, it's kind of anathema to how we were raised. Again, for most of us, a vacation or a weekend. Rest is what we do after we've done everything else. This idea of working from a place of rest. The difference between a Saturday to a Sunday. Think Sabbath in the Jewish Calendar. That's the last day of the week. Sunday and the Christian calendar is the first day of the week. What does it look like for us to make that shift in our hearts to say, the first thing I do is nothing. I'm with God. I acknowledge He holds everything together, not me. I acknowledge that I'm not the center. He is. I acknowledge I'm really not that important. Things are going to go on without me. And then I... And then I have Monday. And I do the things that God's put in front of me to do. I wish I had some more concrete things for you to grab onto, but I'm afraid of becoming a Pharisee and giving you 39 rules that you have to try to follow. And I don't want to do that. I don't. It's a gift from God to us. And I don't think it's a gift that expired with the coming of Jesus because it's rooted in creation. It's how God made us. If Genesis 1 and 2 is a picture of God's ideal, This is his created plan prior to the fall. Rest is a part of that. Again, Adam and Eve weren't tired. They literally had just been made. They hadn't done anything. So there's something about that for us that I think we need to grab onto. So I wanna say a prayer and then we're gonna take communion. The way we'll take communion, you'll come down the center aisle and we'll have teams here. You can break off a piece of bread and then dip that piece of bread in the juice. There's gluten-free communion in the basket, and then there's that prepackaged communion if you're more comfortable taking that. We'll have ministry teams, and here's some things I want you thinking about. I want you thinking about one, and I've, it, we talked about it a few minutes ago, but I don't want you to forget it. I do believe there's a handful of you in here who are, you're confused to offended at God right now. You are, and I want you to be willing to, to say that. I would love for you to go to one of these teams. And you don't have to give them the whole story. You can just say, right now, I'm honestly, I'm pretty frustrated with the Lord. And let them pray. Just you saying that is a huge deal. And let them pray that God would reveal himself to you in a way that would be encouraging. And if, if in, again, in, in, in your honest moment, if you would say, I'm really not resting well. I'm not doing that. I, I, either I work a little bit every day or, you know, my my leisure time. It's not life-giving. It's life-draining. And you may not know how to figure out how to move through it. Again, particularly for those of you who have kids in those hyper-busy years. It can, you can feel like you're failing as a parent if your kid's not involved in all of these things. And there, that can create a lot of internal pressure. Just the lifeline of saying, God, I need help. I need to know what to do. And at a minimum, I need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing And he show me my own heart in this, and begin to get some clarity around what it looks like for you to live in a rest-work relationship rhythm. This is Hebrews four. This is a great thing about rest as well. We get to rest with the Lord. Uh, Watch Minnie. He was a Chinese uh, pastor and theologian. Famously said, every other religion in the world is spelled D O. Christianity is spelled D O N E, and there is a huge difference. Every religion in the world offers rewards. But you gotta, you got to go get them. you got to work for them. You want to achieve nirvana, you got to walk the eightfold path. You want to be released from the, the, the cycle of reincarnation, then you've got to accumulate enough good karma points so that you're not reborn. You want to be in paradise, then you've got to follow the five pillars of Islam. Christianity is very different. There is a reward offered. It's reconciled relationship with God, eternal abundant life. But it's received, it's not achieved. Based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You don't have to do anything except say yes. And then your obedience flows out of that yes. Your work, your obedience comes out of rest, trusting in what Jesus has already done for you. And communion reminds us of that. This is Hebrews 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest and also rests from their works. Just as God rested from his works. And and, and maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. You don't have to work. Your salvation is secure because of what Jesus has already done. Like Christine was sharing. Just receive this gift that he's given to you. There's obedience to follow, but we obey because we are adopted. We don't obey in order to become adopted. Let's pray. If you're helping with communion, you can come forward. If you're on a ministry team, if you do that as well. That's a lot of things to try to process through. So let's pray for a second. Bo, you can come on back. Thank you. Jesus, we're thankful that on the cross you could say, it is finished. Your work was done, and so our striving can stop. I pray if there's any here in this room, any online who are on the treadmill of performance, who don't recognize the gift that's being offered, would you open their eyes? Open their eyes today would be the day that they would rest from their works, from their good works, from their attempts to clean themselves off and make themselves presentable to you and receive the finished work that you provide. I pray as we take communion, we would be reminded that our relationship with you begins with rest. It it begins with stepping into this work that's already finished. God, I pray for those in the room who are somewhere between confused and offended by you. Would you have mercy upon them? Would you comfort? Would they know your presence? We, We pray you change their circumstances, but until you do that, would they know your nearness? God, I pray for those who are kind of like a duck outwardly, everything looks okay, but underneath they're paddling just as hard as they can. Would you show them what rest looks like? God, I pray particularly this whole idea that when we're not doing something, we're trusting you. When we're not showing up, not just being productive in terms of what we're paid to do, but when we say no to something, that's hard for us. God, would you give us grace? Would you show us what rest looks like? I pray for each person and family here. You would show them in the season of life that they're in, what does it look like to rest and to work from that place of rest. No guilt and no condemnation, but certainly a challenge and an invitation. The Sabbath was made for us. And so show us how to receive this gift that you're giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.